Let's do it. You give me that song, I'll give you that podcast. Hello and welcome to the Untranslatable Podcast. We are here recording episode 165, and today we are going to be talking about which languages are the hardest to learn. Uh, So I think this will be a fun conversation. This episode is for you if you're thinking about, hmm, which language do I want to learn? I want to challenge. I want to really see if I can push my limits of my brain and my language learning capabilities. And we'll give you a couple languages today that you can try out and see if you are up to the task. Uh, So yeah, and difficulty really ranges uh, depending on your native language. So keep that in mind. So for our English, native English speaker listeners out there, some languages will be more difficult than others. And for our native, um, any type of uh, Asian language, so uh, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, that will also be different as well. So keep those in mind as we're having our discussion today. So my uh, podcasting expert to help me out, my good buddy, Jared. Uh, What's going on, Jared? Hello, friends. Welcome to the Untranslatable Podcast. Welcome uh, those loyal people that have been with us. Welcome new people. Hey, this is fun just for the just for shiggles, shits and giggles. Some of my favorite countries that I consistently <laughs> see um, in our world map here of listeners: Russia. Hold on, Russia. Привет, пожалуйста. My soundboard is the most. I swear we have some sort of love-hate relationship to my to our Russian listeners. Thank you. Consistent. Uh, Canada has been going strong. Spain since for for months and months been going strong. France, Netherlands been going strong for a long time. However, some new ones that have stuck out, and I beg you, please don't leave us. And while you're here, give us five star reviews. I guess uh, Kazakhstan. Going strong these days. Oh, nice. After, uh, from like the past couple of weeks, Kazakhstan's been coming out of nowhere. Senegal, bro. Senegal. Oh, sweet. Keep listening, Very please. Nice. We got, <laughs> last time a new episode came out, we got one download from Senegal. Please don't leave us. We beg you and we love you. I realize I'm That's right. making weird noises now, but... Uh, and then uh, so I love seeing this stuff. It makes me so happy. So please spread a little love. Follow us. On Instagram, Untranslatable Podcast. Twitter, Untranslatable One, the number one. Let us know where you're listening from. Let us know where you're following from. You can email us, Untranslatable Podcast. I haven't said this in a while, said this in a while, but we'll happily take Untranslatables. You tell us the uh, absolutely. You give us the give it to us in whatever the language is. Give us the literal translation of it. Then tell us what it means, and we'll say it. We would love to take them. It just means less work for us. Uh, then of course, spread a little love. Five star reviews, especially from people like uh, the Senegalese, the Russians, the Kazakhs, the Canadians, <laughs> the uh, English. And you don't have to write it in English either. That's true. Feel free to write it in your native language. That's true. We'll figure it out one mm-hmm. way or another. Mm-hmm. This is the untranslatable podcast, but that's just a thing. We can that actually right. translate stuff. It's 2020. Um, I. I have a little interesting, quick, 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 interesting story that came across uh, my plate the other day. I was talking to one of my friends, and he works for a big company, and uh, he was telling me that he had coworkers in from China. They have it's a giant company. They have offices all over the place. I'm not trying to blow up anyone's spot here, so we'll leave the company's name out of it. It doesn't really matter. Um, but anyway, so 
he had Chinese coworkers coming in and I was asking him about it. I was like, oh, you know, my buddy Chad lives in China. And uh, how, how was it? And he's like, it went well, almost too well. I felt like they were Uh-oh. almost just telling us what we wanted to hear. And they were um, like sort of just mm. pleasing us to please us. And he mentioned that he might have also been skewed by a documentary that came out a couple months ago on, on Netflix called American Factory. Have you heard of this? I haven't, no. American Factory came out a couple months ago, and it's about a Chinese company that started a, um, started a uh, glass, uh, automotive glass uh, manufacturing company. So glass for your windshield, cars, you know, Glass for cars. You get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. uh, it was a Chinese company that opened up offices in the U.S. And uh, with the guy that you know opened it up brought with him about 100. Um, here, I'll just read this. In post-industrial, this is a little bio of it. In post-industrial, I'm going to watch this. This is why I'm bringing this up. I find this fascinating. In post-industrial Ohio, a Chinese billionaire opens a new factory in the husk of an abandoned General Motors plant hiring 2,000 blue-collar Americans. Early days of hope and optimism give ways to setback as high-tech Chinese, China, excuse me, clashes with working-class America. And so he hired about 2,000 blue-collar Americans, you know, just factory-style workers. In addition to that, he brought about 100 Chinese workers from China to the U.S. And apparently, the reason why my friend was feeling kind of weird about the meeting, even though it went well, was because Mm -hmm. he said that he watched this documentary, and and a lot of um, Chinese um, uh, employees that work with Americans or work as ex- expats in America uh, get shown this video about American culture, and the video doesn't seem to be too flattering to uh, Americans. So it's essentially saying that we're Uh-oh. that we're okay. simple. It says that we need hmm. to be um, sort of placated. You, you know, we we need to be. We need to be validated because we don't take criticism well, and we need to just be essentially told what we what we they feel like we want to hear. And so mm. my friend was like, "I feel like this went well, but like I can't judge it because I don't know if I buy all of it a hundred percent." So I'm gonna watch this. Right. The only reason I didn't watch it is because I just found out about this yesterday and I just haven't had time. But by the next episode, mm. this net this documentary will be watched, and I would love to talk about it with you. Yeah, I'm. It sounds really fascinating. If I can get the internet to work a little bit better here, I might give it a view as well. Uh, that mm-hmm. sounds really it's interesting. Called American Factory. I, I have a few opinions on that. Why that may have gone the way it did as well. Uh, at least as far as I know, with my interactions with Chinese people, I've asked them questions uh, like colleagues or you know other Chinese people who have been to my workshops. I've asked them for feedback on how to improve my workshops. And a lot of times the the feedback I get is just compliments and, um, <laughs> you know, oh, this was good. I really like this, which, which is nice. But a lot of the feedback that I want is constructive criticism. You know, well, right. you could have done this how better. You spent too much time talking about this. Exactly. And I think that there's something about, and I could be wrong, but I think there's something about Chinese culture that... Um, Especially if it's someone you don't know very well, you don't uh, criticize them negatively. 
And I'm like not it, sure if it, this has to do with losing face or what, but like uh, that's just see- what I've experienced here as well. Does it feel like they're insulting or something if you're not just telling them what I, I don't know I don't know and you know maybe he right. maybe he screwed himself over by watching this documentary for I don't think he watched this in preparation for that I think he just happened to watch right. it and then he thought right. about it but like maybe he screwed himself over maybe it went great <laughs> maybe it generally right. went great and he's just like oh no it could no, have yeah I screwed I screwed everything up but they were so nice and I don't I don't buy it I don't buy it so I don't know but I just right. I found it interesting and um. And I, I was listening to him talk about this, and I'm like, oh, I'm definitely, this is, all I was thinking about was how we're going to talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to see it. I'm very curious. Um, all right. Well, I'll definitely very, watch very it. Very, very curious. So, I mean, ideally, just let's try to try to watch it by the next time we, we uh, record one, because that's, that's my goal. I will. Yeah, I'll try to watch it tonight if I can. I'll see all if right. I can convince my girlfriend to uh, watch it with me. We'll see. Uh, okay. Uh, one more thing though, you've been you you're on mm-hmm. essentially on vacation right now, aren't you? You have one more presentation. Yep, I've been to give. on vacation for a week. Yeah, my presentation comes up in a couple days in Harbin. So keep your eyes out, uh, listeners, for an Does on the road again coming up very very soon. You better believe it. You better believe it. I'm very excited. Um, I'll be doing a workshop on uh, games primarily focused, well, not primarily, but games focused exclusively on speaking. So it should be a lot of fun. So I'm taking that games presentation and tweaking it to speaking. So it should be a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, We always have a lot of fun in my workshops, especially the games workshop, because all we're doing for an hour and a half is playing games. So it's going to be pretty great. (laughs) Uh, I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, but I've been on vacation for about um, a week. I've been thankful that you've been sending me uh, pictures from all your travels. That's upcoming travel. Mm-hmm. I'm more curious about travel that's already happened. I'm thankful that you've been sending me pictures from that travel. Um, yet I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes when I look at these pictures, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll like go to post something and I'll be like, did I already post this? Mm-hmm. Like some of this yeah, stuff, look, like a lot of it looks very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> like and very similar. But what are some of the things you've seen over the past uh, couple days? So it's so I've been officially on vacation for about a week, and uh, I've gone to let's see here, uh, Temple of Heaven in Beijing, which was great, uh, mm-hmm. one of the biggest temples. Uh, there's still one more temple I want to see called the Lama Temple, which I believe is a I could be wrong, but I think it's a Buddhist temple. Um, the Temple of Heaven, uh, in hindsight, I should have gotten an audio guide. Didn't get an audio guide. Um, just walked around, actually, with my uh, girlfriend's uh, younger sister. She was still in town. So we did some sightseeing together. Uh, so that's how I had some pictures of myself that weren't selfies. Mm. Um, she took those. So that was really great. Um, and it was, it was really cool. But... internship? <laughs> Could she follow you around and do that all the time? <laughs> Well, sadly, she's back in Russia, so that won't work. But uh, if she comes back again, I'll, I'll offer her an unpaid Why internship position. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, Temple of Heaven was great. Uh, there was a lot of really cool... Um, like the way it works is a lot of the buildings in Chinese architecture uh, are symmetrical. So, Or like the layout of the architecture is symmetrical. So what that mm. means is if you have a temple in the middle, you'll have another small building on the to the either east or west or north or south, depending on which direction. And so so those buildings that used to be used, they, they a lot of times are called like a great hall. 
is generally what the English translation is. Uh, I'm looking uh, at pictures. They'll usually I see be, it now. I see mm-hmm. it. Right. And those buildings are usually used kind of now as like a small exhibit for a museum. So a lot mm. of these great halls, so in the uh, Temple of Heaven, for example, they had some artifacts from the, like they've done renovations on it. I think the most recent renovation was in 2005. I could be wrong, but they did some renovations on it. So they had some of the original old um, stuff in there. They also had some paintings that depicted what the temple used to be used for in the past, which was also really interesting to see. Uh, the Temple of Heaven was a temple where they would do, um, uh, they would burn uh, offerings to the gods, uh, and the uh, emperor's son would usually do these ceremonies, I believe, uh, if I remember correctly. So that was really cool, Temple of Heaven, uh, and we were there for about two and a half hours walking around. Um, I think we saw everything. Uh, oh, no, we didn't. There was one one building that we weren't able to see because if you don't get there early enough, uh, usually they begin to close the entrances for the buildings around an hour before they close. So if they close at 5, if you are trying to get into a new building at 4 o'clock, you won't be able to. Hmm. So I think that's a good tip for anybody visiting uh, any buildings in Beijing that are like you kind betcha. Of sightseeing buildings. Uh, make sure you get there very early because if you only have an hour left, you most likely won't be able to get in. Then we also went to the Cultural Palace, which was really cool. Um, sadly, we made the same mistake again. Uh, we didn't know this until uh, this happened the second time around, which was we wanted to get into the Forbidden City. And uh, unfortunately, it was already closed by the time we had seen the Cultural Palace. So the Forbidden City is this huge... The crazy thing about sightseeing here in Beijing is that it's way bigger than you would think. Mm. Um, I, I don't have the actual square meters or acres or anything, but it is huge. The Forbidden City's giant Tiananmen Square is huge. Temple of Heaven is huge. So make sure if you do any sightseeing here, bring your comfortable Good walking, walking shoes. shoes. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's I right. Mean, I look at the pictures that you've sent me, and there is... I, I mean, I don't know about the inside, really, but there is noticeable amounts of open space uh, mm-hmm. it, like in, in the areas, at least where if you look at our Instagram, Untranslatable Podcast, you'll see this. But like in the pictures that you are in, there's a lot like like there's a, a lot of square footage behind you is what I'm getting at. I oh, don't yeah. know what's on the other side. I, of you, absolutely. But I imagine there's a lot more square footage on the other side as well. Most definitely. Yeah. So make sure you spend a lot of time. And you give yourself a lot of time um, because, yeah, it is very large. Uh, it was a little confusing, too. It took us a while to get to um, Tiananmen Square and the Forbidden City because our, our cab driver, we got stuck in traffic. And then he led us out to what I thought was like a five-minute walk. It ended up being a 15-minute walk from where he led us out. And it was mm. kind of confusing because there they have like a lot of, I think, th- four or five... Um, lane road so you have to go under the street and then up and and we went the wrong direction as well so make sure <laughs> if you go there i would actually suggest if you're going to uh, tiananmen square in the forbidden city actually take the subway because there's a subway stop right there and and as you exit the subway you can't miss it um so that's even easier and one last thing i saw jared which was mm-hmm. super cool uh is called um wang fujin um it's like a pedestrian shopping street uh, and it's really, really cool. Um, I'm not. I'll have to look, double check, if and see if I sent you those pictures. Um, I don't think but you did. there were, there were a bunch of awesome shops. 
uh, there. A, lo- a lot of Western shops, but they also had a couple toy stores that were huge. And some of the toys were pretty cool to see. Um, there were some Chinese versions of Disney characters. So they basically, they took oh. Elsa and they made her look Asian. She was still blonde, but she looked Asian. Um, so that was pretty cool. Oh, man. Um, I, to see I that. I kind of make a business doing that with like a, with like, um, like a turn like American Disney characters black or something. That would be fun. Like, right. um, oh, you could totally do it. Yeah. All right. I'm sending you these now. And then so, uh, one picture I just sent you as well is inside these malls, Jared, what's really crazy is they always have really, really crazy um, like displays. And uh, so this display, when I saw it, it looked like something to me straight out of like Willy Wonka. So check that out. I sent those your way. Um, and that is from the uh, Wang Fujin. Uh, shopping street which is really cool in beijing so check that out oh yeah oh i did see this i just you did send me one or you did send me this i just had no idea what i was looking at it just looked like a whole Mm. bunch of bubbles i was like what's all these weird bubbles (laughs) right uh but now that there's some context to them i'll definitely post them and you listeners that follow us on instagram will know what uh you're looking at because i was like i don't really know what i'm looking at so i didn't post this um, so let right. me, so I did mention that, uh, let's circle back real quick. I did mention that sometimes when you send me these pictures of various historical, uh, or tourist attractions or whatever, they, they kind of sort of all blend together for me. Do you yeah. feel that they way look very, being very there? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that yeah. way being oh, there yeah. or being, okay, okay, okay. I didn't know if it was just me as in pictures. Yeah, or my girlfriend's sister and I, my girlfriend's sister and I were talking about that, how we, we went to Temple of Heaven first, and then the next day we went to um, the Forbidden, well, Cultural Palace and Tiananmen. And I think some of it is because some of the buildings are built around the same time. And if they're built by a similar dynasty, it'll be in the same architectural style. Mm. And I think also traditional Chinese architecture tends to, at least from what I've seen in uh, Chufu and in Beijing, it has been uh, generally the colors are red blue, green, and gold. And usually mm-hmm. there's ornate, uh, generally speaking, there's ornate um, decorations in gold, which will have like dragons and other symbols, uh, like on the beams of, of buildings, especially the mm-hmm. entrance. Uh, and then if the if the buildings were used for the emperor, they'll have some animals on the top of the roof. I believe I sent you a picture of that as well with the different animals. Yeah. I'm looking at um, it right now. Yeah, and so the different animals are uh, all to protect the building and the emperor. Um, so, yeah, so it's pretty interesting, and I think a lot of that just comes from being built around the same time. I mean, if you look at Europe, European architecture built around the same time, obviously there will be some variance between different um, countries, but generally speaking, I think the styles are fairly similar. So I think that's why, but I could be wrong. I'm no expert like in Chinese how- architecture. Kind of like how the Rathaus in Vienna and Munich look almost identical because it's the same sort of right. time and like a also uh, same architect was I it the it same is, architect yeah, actually, as, actually, well? as I said that I think it's actually because it's the same architect. So what I said was actually right. true, but don't worry about it. Uh, do you want to um, <laughs> spread a little love? <laughs> I do, and uh, it's very apropos to our new listener in Senegal. Uh, I have a shout out to the country of Senegal. Uh, especially President Macky Sall. Uh, he has an emerging Senegal plan, which aims to speed up Senegal's development. And what they are doing, Jared, is they have a wind farm coming up. 
So the wind farm will be completed by uh, the middle of this year and supply 158 megawatts of clean energy, uh, as well as increasing the country's energy supply by 15%. The wind farm has already started supplying the country with 50 megawatts uh, to the national grid. Mm. Uh, Moreover, the wind farm will offset about 300,000 tons of carbon emissions annually protecting the environment from climate change as well. So I think this is really amazing. Uh, it's really a path moving forward for Senegal and the entire continent of uh, Africa. You betcha. And uh, the region of West Africa as well. So I think that's really awesome and really great. So shout out and lots of love to Senegal and also President Mackie Saul. I've been plugging the shit of our, out of our social media today, but... I saw on uh, Twitter, on Translatable One, on Twitter, that um, Akon, who's been known to do a lot of Mm -hmm. charitable work in Africa, specifically Senegal, uh, I think he has roots in Senegal. I think that's where his parents and family is from and all that stuff. But I'm going to read a tweet that Akon posted two days ago. Just finalized the agreement for Akon City in Senegal. Looking forward to hosting you there in the future. He's going to have his own city in Senegal. And I tweeted, I I retweeted and said, looks like it's time for another On the Road Again episode. Going to Akon City. Akon. (laughs) Convict. That's awesome. Music. Music. (laughs) Let's let's move on from this. It's it's enough singing of Akon. There's never enough singing of Akon, Jared. Just just to be... uh, Sure. All right. Let me start us off, Jared. I have a couple Indonesian phrases because uh, I keep trying to flex on you a little bit, Jared, because I know you're in cold Michigan. Mm. I'll be going to Bali in a few weeks. All right. Uh, So I'm trying to learn some random Indonesian to help me out while I'm there. My first one for you, Jared, is buah bibir, which means fruit lips. Fruit lips. (laughs) Yes, fruit lips. Bless you. Um, Thank you. is that like um, like you're sweet talking someone? Like you're like flirting? Mm, you know, I could see where you are coming from, but let me give you let me give you a clue, Jared. Um, let me give you a clue. So, Fruit Lips is uh, when so for ex- for example, the thing you just said about Akon, I would say could be Fruit Lips. Um. Good news? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, okay, so let's take that word news, and it is related to the news. Ah. What draws you into a newspaper or an article? Fruit Lips. is like a juicy headline? There we go. Great job. Fruit Lips is a juicy headline? Wow. To make, to make headlines, but yeah. Oh, to make headlines. interesting. I don't even know where the connection yeah. will be on that one, but I like it. Yeah, um, me too. Okay. Our topic for today is, um, you know, difficult languages. And so all of my untranslatables will be from languages that we will later talk about as difficult languages. One of them, I just had to do some oh, great. work around so I can actually just play it through the translator instead of actually say it because that's never going to go mm. well. The first one I think I can say, though, it's Arabic and it's Yagazma and it just means shoe. Shoot, is it like darn? Mm, 
it's 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 darn esque, but it's harsher than that. And you say it more. Well, that's gonna give it away. Well, I'll get it, it, no. It's harsher than that, and you say it at someone. Is that is it the f word in Arabic? <laughs> no, but it is like an insult. It is like a degrading insult. Arabs. Uh, oh wait, nothing can be more degrading than the bottom of a dirty shoe to Arabs. So um, right. it's essentially just like a like a deep insult, just saying yagasma. It's kind of okay. similar to as I I believe we talked about George Bush dodging shoes being thrown at him, and was it right. Iran or Iraq? One of those two. Afghanistan, one yeah, of those. I'm not, I'm not sure which. I'm not sure which, but yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that I've also heard as well, and I learned this from my students from Saudi Arabia when I was teaching them English, is uh, you do not want to sit in a manner which shows or points the bottom of your shoe mm, at someone. Yes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's a good little cultural tip for anyone it's, going to an Arabic country. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Sometimes I, I'll like be, be walking around in my shoes and I'll think, Damn, like I sometimes wear these shoes in my house and as I walk around like some gross club or something, I don't know, you know, right? Uh, or walk right. through some fields. I'm like, oh, man, this, I get it. I get it. All That's right, what do you got for me? So, Jared, my next, my next one for you is also Indonesian and also in the fruit realm, which is buah tangan, which means uh, fruit hand or hand fruit. Hand fruit. So when uh, I go to Bali, Jared, I definitely... Go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, okay, yeah, I should guess before you give me the clue. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like I'm already on the wrong track. I was going to say something that's, like, very simple or something that's, like, like a... Yeah, it's it's not that, but let me let me give you a clue, Jared. So okay, when I go please. to Bali, uh, I might want to bring some hand fruit back for my friends and family. Oh, some, like, a, like knickknacks or, um, like, a gift. What's, what's another word for it? Another word for it? Uh, souvenirs. There we go. That's yeah, what it took, I was it took for. a second. I almost lost. I was like, "What is it called?" There we go. Uh, I try so yeah. hard not mm-hmm. to be a tourist. I don't even know what those words mean. Um, my... <laughs> Did you get any souvenirs when you were in Toronto? Just curious. Mm, no, I bought some. I, we had our neighbors across the street get our mail from for us, and I we bought like some mm-hmm. Canadian chocolate that we gave them. Oh, we did oh, get cool. two bottles of okay. wine. We, yeah, I told you we went on a wine tour. We did get two bottles of wine. One has already been. That's drank. a good souvenir right there. Another one, I, I we're saving for something. I don't know what, but uh, <laughs> if it were me, it'd already be gone. There you by go. Now, but nice. That's my problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nothing wrong with my that. My girlfriend's like, no, we should save it for some special occasion. And I was like, okay. Uh, um, anyway, uh, um, my next one is Polish, and this is why I wanted to bring up mm-hmm. the translator because I know. My history with Polish, and it's never good, but this is the Untranslatable Podcast, and I will try, then I'll actually do the, the actual oh, cool. uh, good. computer singing, saying it. Mijweja vikizhni. Kizhni. Mijweja vikizhni. Okay. Mijweja vikizhni. Mijweja vikizhni. I wasn't that far off. I'm not going to lie. No, was, no, that was okay. Not terrible. And what does that mean, Jared? <laughs> it means, uh, do you have a snake in your pocket? And then what I wrote after that, dot, 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 or are you just happy to see me? But that's not actually the saying. It just means, do you have a snake in your pocket? That, that has nothing <laughs> right. to do with anything. I just wrote that down because I'm do stupid. Snake in your pocket. Uh, do you have a snake in your pocket is the uh, untranslatable. Does it mean you like brought something unnecessary with you? 
No, no. Um, it's more like um. No, it's more like uh, it's negative. First of all, I would say. Okay. And it's um. So let's say you and I were uh were traveling together, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Hey, Chad, let's go." To a nice dinner in Homutov at uh, Republica or a uh, Republic Republica. Republica. Get a nice meal. Yeah, it'll cost a little bit, but in comparison to what we're used to in the U.S., it won't be that bad. And you're like, "What are you mm-hmm. talking about? There's a great dona place right down the road. We can get a dona for three Czech crowns." And I'll be like, "Yeah, but we." <laughs> and I'll be like, "What? Are you have a snake in your pocket or something? Let's go get a nice meal, you know?" Oh, so to be a cheap cheapskate. Essentially, yeah. They say tight-fisted, okay. but that means cheapskate, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would okay. say so. When yeah, I think yeah. of tight-fisted, though, I think of the, the Arthur meme of him making the fist. But yeah, <laughs> tight-fisting, I would say, is... Um, yeah. Or fr- frugal. I feel like frugal doesn't quite have the same negative connotation. No, that, uh, frugal it's frugal is more like something maybe. someone would say about themselves, you know? Right. True. To try to justify right, let me give you another. Right. Let me give you another Indonesian one, uh, and then... Uh, well, do you want an Indonesian one or a Chinese one? Chinese. Save the Indonesian Chinese. one right. for... Well, you're going to be on the road again eventually in Bali. Save it. Yep. Save it. I'll save it. All right. So, uh, let me see here. So, here we go. Tian Wai Yo Tian Ren Shang Yo Ren, which means uh, there's heaven outside of heaven and a person above a person. What do you think this means, Jared? Heaven above heaven, person above person. The world doesn't revolve around you. Um, not not quite, <sighs> not quite. I feel so good about that too. Uh, um, you need to get your priorities straight, maybe. Uh, not quite. Uh, so think about it. There is a person above you. There is a heaven above heaven. So you might think you're here, but there's a person above you respect your elders or it's like like a like a the unknown something about the unknown or it's like don't uh, also no i'm, I'm, I'm well. just gonna give it to you jared so it is uh this basically means that there will always be someone who is uh better or more skilled than you which i think is an important oh, thing to keep like in mind mm-hmm. when you're learning a very difficult language mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. you can always use these people Maybe use isn't the correct word. Use them as a resource to help you learn some of these difficult languages. So let's talk about them, Jared. (laughs) Way worse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So our topic today is about some of the most difficult or hardest languages to learn. Uh, And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this really depends on what your native language is. So if you come from an if you're an English native speaker, certain languages will be a bit easier for you to learn than others. Uh, whereas sure. if you are a native Russian speaker or Chinese or whatever, uh, it will vary on what it is. And and also, this also depends on your own language learning capacity as well. Um, of so course. Yeah, there are a lot of factors. I agree with you 100%. But I think um, there does seem to be a, li- a, re- a relatively similar list that people can agree on of gen- general difficult languages to learn regardless of what your native tongue is so like i tried my hardest Absolutely. to find maybe not like like it's it's harder to find what i really wanted to find was like well we'll get to that later what um 
one thing I just wrote down just for my own uh, self, difficult aspects of language learning. So what is it, what, what mm, are the different right. aspects of learning a language that can make that language so difficult? And I wrote down some, and I'm sure you could think of, uh, what do you, what, what comes to mind for you? What would make a difficult, a language especially difficult for you to learn personally? Well, in terms of reading and writing a different alphabet system or using sure. characters, if you're not mm -hmm. used to characters, so that's a huge difficulty. I mean, that's one of my difficulties with Chinese. I will tell you, though, Jared, I can write the numbers in Chinese now, which isn't super helpful because they write most of the numbers now the same way we write the numbers. <laughs> but if I do see like older buildings, like mm -hmm. some of these uh, ancient buildings here in China, if I see those and they have the Chinese numbers, I can tell you what numbers they are. Wow. Um, so that's pretty cool. Oh. Um, also some common, there. some common characters I can read now, like the, the, you see the, the character for people a lot. You see the character for water a lot. So I can read those. Mm. Um, but I would say Parada. alphabet systems are, uh, make it difficult. Um, also different, uh, types of pronunciation. So if there are vowel sounds, consonant sounds, or tones that don't exist in your own language, and then I would say, I would really bring it down to three main things, which would be the alphabet the pronunciation, and then also the grammar. I would say those mm. are kind of the three main aspects that I would think of what makes a language difficult to learn. So if the grammar is incredibly complicated, like in, I believe, Finnish, they have anywhere from, I think, 12 to 14 different cases. Uh, I think there are about eight cases in Russian. There are seven cases in Czech. There are four cases in German and English. I think technically speaking, we don't really have any cases. I could be wrong about that, but... At what least is, the way they use case cases. Me real quick. A case. So a case is basically when the grammar will uh, will change in a way so you can tell. Like like a case would be like so in German, for example, you have four cases. You have the nominative mm -hmm. case, which would be the subject of a sentence. So if we sorry for our non grammar uh, nerd listeners out there, but we're going to go into a quick. Grammar explanation. I'll I'll do this with German, um, just so I know Jared can wrap his head around it, and I'll be able to explain it as well. So in German, we have the nominative case. So if uh, if we have a very basic German sentence, um, uh, I have I have a friend named Jared. Okay, so ich is I in German, and that would be the nominative case. Ich habe einen Freund. The einen Freund here would be the accusative case, which would be the second case in German. Um, uh, I have a friend, <laughs> uh, and then oh we can use gosh. the, the dative case or no, wait, no genitive case. It's um, like belongs to. Ich, right. Ich habe einen Freund, uh, seines Namens, uh, Jared, for example. Yeah. Uh, his name, whose name is Jared, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in German, they also have a dative case, which is an indirect object. So if you have an object in a sentence and you have another object. So if I gave Jared a gift, I would say uh, ich schenke uh, ihm, which is him in German, but the dative case, uh, ich schenke ihm uh, ein, ein neues Handy. Uh, I, I gift him a new phone. So anyway, so, so cases are basically ways to... Uh, I can't give you a clear explanation. I wish I could. But cases are... It's basically... An object. Uh, let me let me consult. I'll look it up. I'll look let it up. me consult. Okay. You, don't look but it yeah, up. So cases, whenever you look it up, your internet goes on. The I was going to look I, it up on my phone, not on my uh, computer. But, uh, but a, go ahead and look I, it up. I have a definition for you. 
Case is a special Perfect. grammatical category of a noun, pronoun, adjective, participle, or numeral. There we go. Whose value reflects the grammatical function performed by that word in a phrase, clause, or sentence. Now, I'll be honest with you. That sentence made almost no sense to me. Uh, <laughs> so b- basically what that means is a, a case is a way to kind of grammatically label an object, mm. a subject, something like that. And that's I, why and, like cases in German make a lot of sense to me because right. grammatically speaking, they do make a lot of sense once you kind of understand them. Some of them and you make use sense them, Jared, and you don't even know. Genitive, or maybe you do know, makes mm-hmm. perfect sense to me. But mm-hmm. it's also one of the ones you probably use the least, really. Like it's not the most common, right? One for sure, to use more in written and speaking, uh, um, written and uh, writing and reading. Yeah, correct. But then bet- I think the ones I struggle with the most are probably going to be accusative and nominative i sometimes those are the ones i find myself mm. getting mixed up i feel like dative i usually can figure out uh, mm-hmm. usually because that's based that's often based off of what your preposition right. is going to be and they're nominative, clear correct. prepositions usually nominative you just need to figure out what the heck is the subject and then you're done. Yeah, no one thinks that much about their sentence, though, when they're talking, you know? Like, no, no. Like, uh, right. I, the subject right. and a part, all that stuff. Right. Uh, all right, anyway, I have a couple more that you didn't mention. Oh, let's hear them. One, my top one, relation to your native language. So it's okay, probably going to sure. be easier for an uh, Italian speaker to learn Spanish. Probably going to be easier for a Spanish person to leave Portuguese, mm-hmm. for example, all that sort of stuff. French person to learn Spanish, that might be a little easier than, say, a Russian person trying to learn Spanish. Right. Um, vocabulary. So English has one of the widest vocabularies uh, of all the world's languages, with over 500,000 words listed in the Oxford Dictionary, not including technical terminology, terminology which makes vocabulary building seem a bit of a cl- like a climbing Everest. Uh, but mm-hmm. take comfort in the, I'm reading something obviously, but take comfort in the fact, uh, that an average, uh, the, a- oh, take comfort in the fact that the average, uh, native English speaker only needs 3000 words on a daily, on a regular basis. And this 3000 words will cover, that doesn't surprise me. uh, nearly 95% of everything you're, uh, you hear or read. Um, and right. so English would not be in one of those. Uh, difficult li- list because yes there's a wide vo- vocabulary but you don't need most of that and the good thing about mm-hmm. english is it's going to be the most accessible of languages so you'll get it, it'll be the most easy to access these uh like all these weird words that you might not recognize just because of social mm-hmm. media just because of internet like i feel True. like there are a lot of True. non-english speakers or non uh you know people that that find themselves right american websites or english-speaking you know situations and for our non-native english listeners out there a tip i can give you all is check out a website called the learnersdictionary.com they have a lot of great examples um and uh, very clear definitions of words if you're not an advanced english speaker if you're an advanced Mm -hmm. english speaker you can just find it wherever you've been finding stuff but if you're uh still still a learner uh check out the learner's dictionary it's really great um all right Chad. Jared, i'm going to be right back i hear a knock on the door and it might be the cleaning lady so hold that thought one moment jared i will be right back well while chad's going to deal uh with this cleaning lady because you know he's bougie we're going to talk about some of the most difficult languages but i'm going to be honest with you 
these are never languages that like like <laughs> it's got to be a weird like some of these languages are difficult but like i don't even know if some of these existed so like of course they're difficult they're going to be difficult if you never heard of them but i still think it's interesting to talk about chat talked about cases so the obvious one to start with would be polish now polish as far as i as as far as i've seen is by no means the most difficult language to learn, but it is definitely difficult because as Chad mentioned, German, we have uh, four cases. Polish has seven. Now, as I mentioned, I can't even figure out the four. I don't even know where to begin with seven. Th these cases don't make any sense to me. Where are they coming from with these cases? What sort of, <sighs> let me just read this. Number 10, Polish, bringing up the rear, with a familiar alphabet and a tame seven cases in Polish, no big deal. While by no stretch an easy language to learn, it is a little less mind-boggling or bottling if you're uh, Ron Burgundy than those above. Uh, right. Though Sorry you about still that, have... buddy. I just kept going. I'm still. I'm, Was I'm, a I'm delivery? About... Oh, you couldn't hear me. I'm still going. I'm talking about Polish. Oh, cool. Polish is number ten. As oh, not number ten, but it's it's it's. I'm talking about the. I I have a list of the, the hardest languages to learn, and Polish is consistently on this list, but it's consistently lower on on the list on various okay. lists. Mm -hmm. And I was okay. talking about how um, Polish, as you mentioned, like Czech, has seven cases, which mm -hmm. I've I already said this before. Just so you know, that makes no sense to me. Like I struggle to understand the four that we ha that they have in German. Mm -hmm. I don't even know like. I can't even right. understand how they would get to the seven. Like, what are you doing with a sentence that would involve so many cases? Well, I can tell you, at least in Czech, they have a specific case if you are just simply, like, getting someone's attention. So you add a different ending to someone's name oh. uh, or, or the noun to get their attention. So, like, for, okay. you know, in English, if we would say, like, excuse me, excuse me, miss, or excuse me excuse me, bro, or whatever you say, uh, <laughs> that would have a different ending, um, for example. So you just have okay. to think about, I guess, how you would use the language. Uh, and, you know, in English, we just wouldn't have a case because we don't really have that type of grammatical rigidness, I guess, in English. Um, but I think the difference to in English is we don't, we also don't have genders. And I know at least Czech has gender. I'm assuming Polish probably has gender as well. They do. They um, have masculine, I, feminine, I think, and neutral. Mm -hmm. And they also have right. personal, animate, and inanimate. That's where the seven comes in. So as oh, far okay. as masculine goes, it's split into personal, animate, which means real mm -hmm. or alive, and inanimate, which is a mm -hmm. uh, like an object, like my phone. Or object, something. right, right. Um, and then they have feminine and neuter, but it seems like they only do personal animate and, in and inanimate for masculine based off of how this little mm -hmm. chart looks, which is interesting. Um, so right. that's going to be obviously difficult, but, um, let me, I was reading something before you got here, but I'm gonna read something else from, uh, this point forward, the hardest languages get less than hard, uh, get less hard, but are still challenging for English speakers. Polish got the number three. Uh, well, that's on their list. I'm, I've combined like 45 lists. 
Actually, it's 172 mm-hmm. I've combined. Sprawling and grammar oh, wow. are a couple of... Er- no, <laughs> I love it. You didn't actually believe me, did you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> oh, the way you said it, I was like, oh, poor thing. Spelling and grammar are a couple of areas in which Polish can give English speakers a hard time. Words are loaded with consonants, which makes them difficult to spell and pronounce. For example, S-C... Oh, excuse me. S-Z-C-Z... Mm-hmm. E-S-C-I-E means happiness. B-E-Z-W-Z-G-L-E-D-N-E-Y means ruthless. (laughs) That level of consonant makes no sense to our uh, English-speaking brains because there's this... Especially our eyes, too. Right. uh, All put in together as one. On the bright side, Polish uses a Latin alphabet, so the letters are are similar to English characters. Um... And so you don't have to English relearn letters, the alphabet. Yeah. Granted, there is a lot of there are a lot of accents that you will still have to learn. You know, it's not just mm-hmm. smooth sailing. Just to be clear, right? Uh, Polish, I imagine, has got to be relatively similar to Czech. Yeah, I, I have a friend who's half Czech, half Polish, and he was saying that there are a lot of similarities. But he said that Polish people can understand Czech people much better than Czech people can understand Polish people. If that well, makes he's sense. He's a good spot then, because he can understand yeah. both, I would imagine. Right. Right. Um because so they also you said they also do have like the seven cases as well. Right. Right. So well, I don't like, know if they're the seven the same cases with Czech as they are in Polish. I couldn't tell. Oh, you. Right. Right. Because I didn't when I was learning Czech, I wasn't learning very much grammar. Uh it was mostly very, very basic survival Czech. Yeah, um, you gotta it's gotta be way more actionable than that. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and and I I also want to mention Jared during our main segment here that I don't think that there is as you mentioned with all these different lists I don't think there is a set list of like everyone agrees that this language is the hardest or this language is the tenth hardest. Um, now I you know, agree with it you, really, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to disagree with you on the number one spot, which we'll get to. But I, I definitely okay. agree with you. Where it's hard to really say what's the hardest because it's you have to factor right. in people's brains you know it's mm-hmm. like like when i go to a like i can when i go to a restaurant and i go to a place that say like has a cheesecake factory size menu and it's just gigantic right i can't I, my brain cannot handle that like i find myself skipping around like i'll turn a page read two entrees go back and read a dessert for some reason right go and read a couple right. apps like my brain skips all over the place on menus like that and so mm-hmm. maybe that might might challenge me with certain languages or it might help me with other languages. Like, I, I don't know, you know? So there's definitely a lot of just, you know, personal stuff that goes into it. But I think there is going to be, the higher you get up on the list, I think there's going to be some agreement on this. And, and we'll talk about it mm-hmm. the higher we get. Like, I have a couple of these languages that I also mentioned while you were gone that some of these languages are also hard because no one really speaks them, you know? Like... Right. For example, yeah. Ice, Icelandic is uh, considered a, one of the most difficult languages to learn, but it's also spoken by less than 400,000 people. So right. I feel like that in itself will add to the difficulty. Much like I mentioned, English, you can't avoid it, really, no matter where you're from. It's kind of right. hard to avoid, which makes right. it easier to learn. Mm-hmm. True. So, um, and, I, and I also wonder, too, what Icelandic is related to. You know, is it which languages yeah. are similar? Because that also has, you know, has a lot to do with 
like if you don't speak German, you'll still get bits and pieces of some German sentences because some words mm-hmm. will be very similar. Now, obviously, there are some false friends or false cognates, but generally speaking, there are a lot of similarities between English words and German words. Also, even there are a lot of similarities between English and Spanish, um, right. or French, French and Spanish, Italian, or Italian yeah. and Spanish. Mm-hmm. So that also makes um, a difference. So Icelandic well, is number... Mm-hmm. Well, this is just my own list. I'll say this. The numbers don't really mean anything, let's be honest. Although I will say they don't really right. mean anything except for the fact that I do feel like I'm trying to get harder as I go along. Um, one right. thing about Icelandic that will make it difficult for uh, for a lot of people, um, and this brings up what you were talking about a second ago, the language is largely unchanged since uh, since Iceland was settled in the 9th and 10th centuries. And they're not... Oh, cool. And they don't popularly adopt a lot of foreign words. Uh, mm-hmm. Icelandic instead opts to coin new words or give new meanings to old words. So they're more... They, they more change their own words and slangify their own words. That's really cool. Than adopting ours. So I would imagine that there's probably not going to be a lot of overlap. As far Fun as fact, like, though, Jared, about Iceland is in Iceland, they have one of the highest numbers of authors uh, because a lot of people, I guess, public, hmm. publish books in Iceland. So I think that's kind of cool. Hmm. Interesting. How do you how do you know? All right. Well, anyway, that's fact. an interesting fact. <laughs> Could be meme news, but it is a fun fact, regardless. Um, so, so what no. else is difficult about <laughs> Icelandic? Um, that's all I got. It, it's just um, okay. all the uh, all this makes uh, learning learning it a challenge. As uh, yeah, no, that's all I got. Um, it also, I mean, other than the fact that it's remote, that's really makes it difficult mm-hmm. too. I mean, that that's going to be uh, I, I not a full theme as you see, but it's definitely a theme for some of these where it's just like, you just don't have the access to them. Like, for example, right. Navajo is one that's very difficult. Mm-hmm. But um, right. Navajo is probably spoken by Which is by a Native less... American language. Yes, that's that, yeah, it's a good thing to mention. Probably spoken by mm-hmm. way, uh, way less than those, uh, a way smaller number than the Icelandic number. And Navajo is a verb-centered language where descriptions are given through verbs and most English adjectives have no direct translation into Navajo. Mm. There are a number of sounds in Navajo that have no equivalent to an English speaker, which makes pronunciation especially difficult. Now, I could be wrong about this, Jared, so if you wouldn't mind just Googling it really quick for me. Mm -hmm. But I thought I heard somewhere that the difficulty with learning a lot of Native uh, languages, not even uh, Native American, but just Indigenous people's languages, is that a lot of these languages don't have any written Mm. form. Now, I'm sure Navajo has been adapted because I've seen books on Navajo, which means that they have figured out a way to write it. But I think traditionally these languages were all taught orally, you know, taught through stories and things like this. Um, Could you double check and make sure I'm not spreading fake news here? But I think that's true. I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm just looking at a few different, like, for example, the Sioux, which is another... uh, um, Native American Native American tribe a tribe mm-hmm. uh, did not have written languages. I'm looking at there's another one I just saw. Aboriginals uh, mm-hmm. in Australia did not have a written language. So I'd say I'm just looking at a bunch of random examples. But I'd say in general, it right. seems like it's I, it seems like you're on the right track on that one. Okay. Um. And, and uh, yeah, and, and because of that, also a lot of those languages are passed down verbally and through uh families so that could just lead to Mm -hmm. a lot of i don't know various interpretations a lot of changes just through like 
you know, the game of telephone happening and people mm-hmm. mishearing um, one word for another, you know? Who knows? Right. Uh, another one? So give us these other difficult languages, Jared. Yeah. Just go through the now, list real quick. Yeah, yeah, now, let me. I'm just going to go through the list real quick, and then I'm going to get to the ones that I really want to talk about. Basque. Have you heard of Basque? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is a language mm-hmm. isolate, which means it's an isolated language, uh, but it uh, mm-hmm. borrowed vocabulary from vocabulary from Romance languages. It's written and spoken. Uh, it's written and spoken uh, is distinct from any other language. Where is Basque spoken? Basque is spoken by about uh, seven hundred thousand people. In um, oh, it's like a variation of Spanish and French. Interesting. I've never even really heard of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Finnish, sure, okay. Korean. Oh, you're going to deal with a new uh, a new um, alphabet already. Character so, system, at least for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, so that's going to be difficult. As the most spoken, uh, oh, as the most spoken language, isolate. Interesting. So does that is that means like it's it's the biggest spoken language, but it's also the most concentrated to a specific area. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, because of where Korea language, is located. Mm-hmm. A language with no uh, demonstrable genealogical relationship to other languages korean is an especially unique language for instance when describing an action in korean the subject goes first then the object and finally the sentence ends with the ac- action practically this means saying uh i water drink so it's kind of yodish opposed to mm. i drink water hungarian similar to uh like korean i, I believe uh hungarian has no relation to other european la- or other languages Correct. Uh, Twenty Hungarian and Finnish in terms of European languages are way out there. Just kind of on that. Yeah, no relation. Speaking of no relation, Mm -hmm. twenty-six cases, Chad. In Hungarian, twenty-six cases in Hungarian. That's a lot. Hungarian has some of the most difficult grammar rules you'll come across. Hungarian suffixes dictate tenses and possession instead of the word order. Which is how most European languages tackle the problem is through word order. So, like in German, mm. y- usually if there's, they'll tackle that by putting the verb at the end. If say there's two verbs, or you're trying to say something in the right. past or something like that. Uh, moreover, subtle cultural elements within Hungarian make it uniquely difficult to learn, especially since Hungarian is a very s- small and unique culture. So they say cultural like uh, differences, but like those aren't differences you'll find in any other culture really. Top three. Right. Let me get, we'll finish this off by what do you think are the top three generally agreed upon most difficult languages? Three, two, one. Can you do it in that order for me? Three, two, one. Or uh, just name them if that's too difficult. I don't want to. That sounds a little difficult now that I think about well, it. Well, I would. I would probably <laughs> say this is in no specific like order of difficulty, but Arabic, Chinese, and Japanese would be my guess. Or I would. Or maybe Arabic. I'm going to give you four, Jared. Arabic, Chinese, Japanese, okay. and Russian. I'm going to give you four. That was perfect. Yeah, that was perfect. The My list consists of um, what I was thinking as the top three was going to be Mandarin, number one, Arabic, mm-hmm. number two, Japanese, number three. However, on some other list I see, Russian commonly comes up as uh, usually actually... Mm-hmm. Af- definitely after Arabic and Mandarin. Arabic and Mandarin are consistently gonna are gonna be the number one and two that I see. With Mandarin right. almost always being number one, Arabic almost always being number two. However, Russian 
is, according to Babel, is their fourth hardest mm-hmm. language to learn, using a Cyrillic alphabet made up of letters yep. both familiar and unfamiliar to us. But speaker beware. <laughs> Some of the Cyrillic, Cyrillic letters may look familiar, but make a different sound than the Latin letter right. they resemble. I've seen that Correct. before. Uh, I've, yep. I've, when talking a to... C, a actually, C sound it, in Russian is an S, for right. example. For instance, though, B in the Cyrillic alphabet makes a V sound. Grammatically, Correct. Russian is not as difficult as Polish, but pretty darn close. Polish has seven yep. cases, Russian yep. has six. <laughs> uh, Russians omit the verb to be in the present tense, yep. which can throw beginners Correct. for a loop when they try mm-hmm. to uh, form basic sentences. In Russian, I am a student mm-hmm. would simply translate to I student. Uh, yes. I Carly, mm-hmm. great show. Uh, like Polish, mm-hmm. <laughs> uses a lot of... Uh, consonants cluster together, which makes spelling and pronunciation a challenge. Dis- uh, despite its difficulty, Russian might be worth the extra effort to learn. It's extremely politi- uh, politically and culturally re- relevant. It opens the doors mm-hmm. to numerous uh, career and leisure opportunities. And it's, you know, it's, alert. it's a pretty, you know, Russia's a big country. So, you know, right. it's, it's useful. I'm trying to learn it. That's on my list of languages to learn. Obviously, my... S- Fact that my girlfriend's Russian also plays a plays a role in that too, but uh, yeah, but Russian's difficult. So, um, so yeah. we talked about the top three, but I want to talk about quickly. Air, we'll skip Japanese. We understand why Japanese would be difficult. It's not really related mm-hmm. to much. Uh, there are three different writing systems, yep. uh, and yep. obviously characters are different. But I want to talk about Arabic real quick. Mm-hmm. Arabic sure. is different not only because obviously the alphabet's different, but. Um, right. Uh, to complicate, v- vowels are not included when writing. This makes translation Correct. a much more difficult task in Arabic, I guess especially Absolutely. transliteration, too, mm-hmm. uh, than most other languages. On top of that, Arabic has a lot of different dialects. Like, Arabic is very no widely kidding. spoken in a lot mm-hmm. of different countries across multiple continents. And so you're going to get a wide v- variety, obviously. You know? It's like, that's just what's going to happen. Usually, and what I've seen was real quick. What I've seen is that when they're when mm-hmm. someone is say, saying Arabic and it's just an Arabic thing and they don't specify, usually mm-hmm. what I've seen is that it's Egyptian based Arabic for some reason. Right. I don't know why that is. But. Right. But with that being said, I don't think there's I don't know if there's a, an agreed upon standard version of Arabic. Like there's a standard version of German that's taught and learned in schools. Yeah, the Hochdeutsch, um, the High German, as they right. call in, it. In English, in English, it's a little, it's a little difficult because uh, you some people do try to teach the Queen's English. Um, mm. I obviously don't as an American. I've been corrected <laughs> by British people many times when I say I'm an English teacher. They'll say no, bloke. You're an American English teacher. Tell that person and I'm like, well, fuck I guess you're right. Chad. Yeah, I said it. Tell the person to go fuck himself. All right, I'll say I'll say my friend Jared tells you to go fuck yourself. I'll 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 make sure um, to spread the word, I'll Jared. Say this, I would say this though. Is it like I get the feeling though, it's gonna be a lot more difficult for maybe an Arabic person from an African country versus uh, an Arabic person person from a Middle Eastern country to communicate smoothly than it would be for like us talking to a british person which is essentially no challenge for either of us to understand each other right we might hear one random word where it's like what does that mean but then they probably then either of us will probably know their version of it you know so like it's like oh the boot what is that the trunk sorry that's what you guys call it you know it's like that's what it would be for us i feel like it would be a little more complicated Mm -hmm. for arabic um i would agree with you or mandarin chad Mm mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. Are you surprised to see this one as number one? Nope. <laughs> well, I, I will say this. In terms of like our parameters of what makes learning a language difficult, I think the reading and writing uh, is very, very difficult uh, if you're not from a language where you read characters. Uh, I will say this, though. I don't think Chinese or Mandarin grammar is very complicated. It is difficult for me to hear, not to hear, but to make sure I'm saying the tones correctly. So I think the tones make it difficult uh, and also reading and writing. Now, grammar, though, the nice thing is, for example, in Mandarin, um, there's no conjugation. So it's I have, he have, she have, we have, you have. Uh, They Mm. also have no... Uh, change in tense. So it's, you know, in English, you could say, I have, I have had, I had, so I no am having, tense. I will have, I am going to have. These are mm. all different tenses in English. So uh, you would say, so that's what so makes English say, difficult. Like something in the future, mm-hmm. you would say, I want to, like, I, I go to the store in next week. I don't know. <laughs> right. I think, you, okay. exactly. I think you add a time. I'm pretty sure mm. you add a time. Okay. I have a couple, before we move on, Jared, I have a couple honorable mentions, which are also very difficult languages to learn. Uh, okay. I think Cantonese is another one, which is spoken mm-hmm. in the south of China in Hong Kong and Macau. Uh, like Mandarin, Cantonese is a tonal language, but there are actually eight different tones. Uh, so it doubles. Mm. So in Mandarin, there's only four. In Cantonese, there are eight. Um, another one, uh, honorable mention, is Vietnamese. So Vietnamese is also a tonal language with six different tones. Uh, There are a high number of different vowel sounds, which can prove difficult for English language speakers to nail down. Uh, As for the grammar, Vietnamese has more pronouns in English and uses a system of classifiers, which are special words that modify nouns in certain contexts. So if you're an English speaker, you do not have exposure to this. Um, And I just want to say another honorable mention. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the tones should not go like the tones. I feel like should not be passed by. Like that's something oh, that not. me as an American that has attempted to learn other European languages, uh, like I, I, I don't, I don't even really understand. Like I understand, obviously I understand what it is, but I, like I don't, mm-hmm. like those are things that I can't even really hear. You know, like you don't really right. even recognize them. Um, but they're a, a important part of, recognize- of what a word is. I think you do recognize them if you've gotten enough exposure uh, to native speakers speaking it. I think you do begin, because I can recognize mm. them. Now, recognizing them and me being able to speak them myself are two very, sure, very different sure. stories. <laughs> um, all right. I have a couple more honorable mentions, Jared. Um, Zosa, which is spoken stop. in South Africa, Zimbabwe. Uh, mm. South Africa and Zimbabwe. I think if I'm not mistaken. I think you clicked that X. Could, Don't we'll you? see. That's one of the reasons why it's difficult, Jared. It's one of many African languages that uses click consonants. It has 18 clicks that get articulated in three different places. 18 clicks? What the yep, hell? The back of the teeth, <laughs> the roof of the mouth, and the side of the mouth. Additionally, Zosa, uh, sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong to any of our South African listeners clicks? out there. Hold on a second. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is a, and also, it's a tonal language with two tones, high and low. Speakers must indicate one of 15 noun cases that must agree with the noun's gender. And Zosa is oh what uh, linguists call agglutinative uh, language, which means it has a ton of prefixes and suffixes that get attached to words in certain contexts. So there you go. So yeah, there are a lot of different languages. Uh, wow. Now, what's interesting, Jared, is a website, which is a website for language learning uh, called mozalingua.com. Uh, check them out. Uh, it's a great website. 
What's interesting though, Jared, is I've looked at a lot of lists as well, and Mosa Lingua actually lists German as the sixth difficult language to learn, which I'm not really sure if I necessarily agree with that. Um, but they say one of the reasons German can be difficult is because of the gender and because of the cases. And if you mm. uh, and pronunciation in German can be difficult, um, depending on what native language um, you come from. So, Jared, now that we've talked about these difficult languages, I want to give our listeners out there some tips on how to learn some of these most difficult languages. Because difficult, Jared, does not Please. necessarily mean that you can't learn it, right? Difficult doesn't mean sure. impossible. So I want to give a few tips um, for uh, how to learn some of these languages, okay? So uh, number mm-hmm. one is, um, depending on the writing system, I would say try to uh, do some reading and do some writing with the writing system. So for example, uh, actually, hopefully if I have time today, I am finally going to this really cool bookstore in Beijing, and I'm going to buy the most common 200 characters of Chinese and learn how to write characters. Uh, And I think being able to write the characters will obviously help you read the characters. So that would be one tip in terms of writing system. Um, You know, if you're learning a new alphabet like Arabic or Russian, which is a Cyrillic alphabet, try to also write the words. That will really help. I think in your mind, solidify how to, I would say as you write them, also pronounce them would be a tip um, as well. Uh, Another tip is push yourself to have conversations with people in the language. Even if you're a beginner, just trying will give you so much confidence. In the beginning, you might feel very stupid because you can't really express yourself. But uh, I think that's another really great tip is just push yourself and try to have conversations. You'll learn a lot of new words, and uh, get a lot of different things. Um, also, the frequency of your study, Jared, is very, very important. Uh, it's more important to study frequently than study for four hours only once a week. So try to make sure that you study very frequently. No. Um, See, Chad? And then when you we need use uh, when you learn a new word, it's very important to try to use Just it. So and whether that be write it down in a notebook or... Um, say it a lot, something sure, like that. Yeah. Although you oh, just went and black the call. and white. Like now you're all darkened. What just happened? All right. I don't know. Weird. Nope. Ugh. And now, now I don't right. see you right. at all. You see there me we now? go. Now right. I see yeah, you. you just went right. black and white. Yeah. All right. I'm going to clap again. <laughs> so, uh, a few more tips left for all of our language learners out there. Um, so my last one was when you learn a new word, use it a few times right away. So either speaking, writing, mm. try to use I it. I do that in English uh, too. Label your apartment like a... Right. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I think one of the most important tips out there, no matter how difficult, make the learning fun. So either play some games or... Even just pat yourself on the back, you know, for taking 15 minutes out of your day to try to do something difficult. Uh, I know when I've been trying to learn uh, Russian and Chinese or Mandarin, my brain feels like it's, you know, turned into mush or turned into like pudding. Um, so I always have to remind myself, you know, you, you're working hard, uh, you know, give yourself a little treat or a pat on the back. I know it sounds cheesy, but I think it's important throughout the process yeah. to do that. Um, also, don't be afraid to ask for help. I mentioned that, you know, uh, use people who are better than you as a resource um, to help you learn the language. So I ask my girlfriend questions about Russian quite a bit. How to say this, 
you know, my favorite phrase in Russian is "как сказать," which means "how do you say?" Um, <laughs> so that's my favorite. You know, make sure you know to learn from them. Also, the last one. Well, all right, I'll give you two more. Uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes, especially with difficult languages. The more difficult the language, I would assume the more frequent the mistakes will sure. be until you really internalize the language. Mm-hmm. But my last tip for all of you out there is find a language buddy. Find someone, either a native speaker or a non-native speaker, who is better than you to um, learn the language with, to talk to, to write with, all of that good stuff. So those are my tips to learn some of these hard languages. These are really general tips to learning any language. But keep those in sure. mind. So, with that being said, Jared, one way to have fun and take a little break after you learn some hard languages is to listen to some great music. And today, I think we have a amazing, an amazing song for all of you to enjoy. Uh, it is called uh, Enjoy Your Life, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Correct. Yes, yes, Jared? Yes, it is. By Obi Onyoha. I'm not sure if I said Onyoha? that right. but Onyoha? Yeah. yeah. This song I found, um, I guess my sister shared it with me a while ago. Um, It's by a uh, Nigerian singer. The song came out in the 80s. And um, it has, are those like funk vibes? Is that funk that I'm hearing? It's a weird, it's a weird like oldies vibe. Uh, I don't know if it's oldies. I I would say it has like a funk soul meets disco mm-hmm. vibe. Yes, was disco. the vibe I, I got. Can, from I can it. hear some disco in there. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it is, it's great. She's got a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in English, Absolutely. so I mean, yeah, she's Nigerian. But if you're an English speaker, you'll understand it. Um, and uh, like, it, it's very of the time, you know. Like 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 if if you mm-hmm. granted. If you were to ask me where this song came out, I would either guess 70s or 80s. It's from the 80s, but like, like it, it's very of that time, and I love that time. I love that time of music. I love 80s music, mm-hmm. um, and I love this song. It's, it's. I, I like the, um, like what I like about the 80s music is that like they just figured out how to make beats with computers, and sometimes it seems like they right. go a little further than they need to. But I kind of like it. <laughs> like, right. like it seemed like at some yeah. points, oh for sure, they slightly overdid it just to impress us with their ability to use Fruity Loops or whatever mm-hmm. they were using back in the uh, in the eighties. Probably not Fruity Loops, but right. um, um, I like it nonetheless. I thought it was I thought it was a good times. Good times had by all. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a great song. So check that out on our YouTube channel. Enjoy your life by Obi Onyoha. Uh, at our song of the pod playlist, you will definitely enjoy it. So, Jared, my Chinese word of the pod today, and depending on if I pronounce this correctly or not, it either means difficult or it means south. Um, nan. Hmm. And um, nan, wait, nan, uh, I think I said it right, means difficult. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a very appropriate word for today's episode. So, Jared, what is your Spanish word of the pod? Great minds think alike, Chad. And I, you know, spoiler alert. But my uh, Spanish for the pod is difícil. Mm, difficult. Uh, difícil, I guess I should say, because the accent's mm. on the second I after that. So difícil. Oh, there we go. actually what it is. Speaking there of we emphasis. Go. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it means difficult. So uh, to recap today's episode, um, I think depending on the alphabet, the grammar, and the pronunciation, as well as the distance from your native language, 
will really influence what languages will be difficult for you to learn or not. So keep that in mind. But I also think a lot of it has to do with exposure. So I I really think if I live in China long enough, um, I'll become fairly proficient in Chinese if I live here for a long time and if I really work hard in learning Chinese. A lot of it comes down to effort. If you're willing to make the effort and overcome some of these difficulties, um, you know, I think it definitely is very attainable to learn these languages. I mean, there are plenty of living examples of polyglots who speak 15 to 20 languages and they can speak some of these very difficult languages. So don't get down on yourself if you're trying to learn these languages. Uh, Keep it up. Keep up the good work. And uh, remember, make language learning fun. Find a language buddy. Um, try to get lots of exposure to the language. Um, mm-hmm. And just keep on keep on chuglin, as the Creedence Clearwater Revival would say. Keep on chuglin. <laughs> uh, I love that phrase. Um, so, yeah. So, let I, us I've know. I've never heard that before, but that's hilarious. Uh, it's a good one. So, let us know what languages you're learning, whether they're easy or difficult, and what steps or tricks that you use to keep it fun and to continue learning some of these difficult languages at untranslatablepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram for all of our different uh, travel shenanigans and whatnot, Untranslatable Podcast. And lastly, please, five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and let us know how we can make this podcast better for you. We would really appreciate it. So as we say here at the Untranslatable Podcast, which is gracias and shit shit. <laughs>